Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Hey, again, welcome today to our live stream. I'm so glad you're joining us. My name's Chris Kipp. I get to serve here as lead pastor at Renaissance, and I want to dive right into what we're talking about today. I want to make a statement. I don't want you to miss it. Distraction is killing you. It's killing you. It's dividing up your life and diminishing your love, joy, and peace as it divides up your attention. Now, I know that's a a strong statement to start with, but let me just tell you why I wanted to get that in so quickly, because the research that I read this week is that our average attention span is eight seconds, down down from a whopping 12 seconds 20 years ago. Just to give you some context, the average goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. We're losing to goldfish, squirrel. I mean, come on, right? We are so distracted. And as I preach to you today, I just want you to know, I'm preaching to myself. Today, what I wanna talk to us about is a stronger center. We're in a series called Stronger. We're declaring this is the summer of Stronger. And in a moment on planet Earth, when it feels like we could be weakened uh, personally, emotionally, uh, physically, spiritually, relationally, that in this moment, we want to prophetically declare that we believe God wants to make you stronger. And today I want to talk about a stronger center. Now, when I use the word center, that word center or centeredness means being deeply connected to God, to self, and to others. It's the ability to be present to God and to self and to others. And in the secular world, there's um, this idea of mindfulness. And what that would say is that it it would focus on meditation, uh, gratitude, stillness, but it's missing the best part. It's missing a risen reigning savior named Jesus who actually fills people with love, joy, peace, and life. And I believe that God wants us to develop a stronger centeredness with him, deeply connected to God, to self, and to others. However, you know, you know it well that we live in the age of of distraction. Surely distraction has been a problem in every era since the dawn of humanity. But in this age, with a smartphone in our pocket, in the world at our fingertips, in all kinds of ways to communicate with one another, you know as well as I do that this age is so distracting and it diminishes our love, our joy, and our peace, keeping us from being deeply connected to God's self and others. 
to talk about this. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. If you want to start turning there in uh, your Bible or in a device that you read the Bible on. And this is a story from the life of Jesus. He's traveling along and he gets welcomed into the home of a woman named Martha. And then we have this interaction that takes place that I think is so insightful and so helpful for us as we talk about a stronger center. I'm going to start in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, if you want to read along with me. It says, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have this moment. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're brought into the home of this woman named Martha. Now, Martha and Mary, we hear about also in in John's gospel as being related to Lazarus, the friend of Jesus uh, that he raised from the dead. These were beloved people in the life of Jesus. This is not Mary Magdalene that we read about in other parts of the scripture. But we have this, this interaction between them And we have this specific distraction that Martha is dealing with here. And it was what we read in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Later in 41, Jesus responds to Martha and he gives us insight. He says, you're worried and upset about many things. Worried and upset about many things. You see, the first thing that I want us to see as we talk about a stronger center and as we talk about distraction is that distractions reveal our desires. Distractions reveal our desires. And this is the convicting part for me. Because when we talk about distraction, we often think of that as uh, we're victims of distraction, right? My phone buzzed. We were in the middle of a conversation, but then my phone rang and I got pulled away, right? Or, or I was trying to do this, but then this thing popped up on my screen and I went to that and it's like, I just got distracted. Like we were the victims of distraction, but I think it's deeper than that. And it reveals our desires. And Martha here, who's distracted by her many tasks, is worried and upset about many things. Now, I can imagine, right, if you're not used to hosting people uh, or that size of a group in your home, that would be overwhelming. There are probably at least 30 people that were in this home that she's trying to prepare a meal for. And I just wonder, what was driving Martha's distractedness? Like, what's driving that for her? It doesn't tell us specifically in the passage, just some ideas is that Martha may have been driven by being perceived or seen as a capable host, right? Come into my home here. I'll, I'll take care of you, right? She wants to be seen as a capable host or, or maybe she wants to be seen as a capable woman, right? Clearly in this day and age, women were not treated with the respect and dignity that they are today, 
or perhaps she wanted to be seen as efficient in the king or efficient in the in the in the kitchen someone that the rabbi jesus would take notice of maybe a a wonderful cook, right? She wanted to be known as a wonderful cook. Or maybe she's thinking, what will the guests think if, if this dish burns here or if I don't get this out in a timely manner? Like she's, she's anxious as she's serving all these people. And I just want to ask you the same question. What drives your distractedness? Like Martha, could it be a desire to be perceived or seen in a certain way, right? When, when you get that text message or that email from a boss or a manager or a, an important coworker, and, and you have that thought like, should I respond or not? But you think, what would they think if I don't respond in a timely manner? And so maybe you, you disconnect from family time because you're doing work stuff at home, right? You wanna be perceived in a certain way. Or you're, you get that message from a friend or that group text from a group of friends and what will they think if I don't respond right now, right? What, what will they think if I don't disconnect from whatever's happening with my child or my spouse or whatever's happening in this moment that I need to be present to if I don't respond and we get drawn into this distraction by a desire to be perceived in a certain way. I uh, recently was at the beach with my family and I noticed this girl down the beach and you know, I know selfies are a thing that people take selfies and that's cool. That's fine if we take a selfie every now and then, but this girl, I mean, she was down there and she had like this really cute, like big hat on like beach hat. And it was like, not one selfie, but it was like, click, 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 click. And then scroll, scroll, smile. Oh, delete, 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 you know, 20 more. And it's like literally for a 30, 45 minutes solid, she was creating the perfect scene where it looked as though she was enjoying the beach when in reality, she wasn't enjoying the sand or the water or the breeze. She was enjoying making it look as though she was enjoying beach. What drives your distractedness? Is it this desire to be seen or perceived in a certain way? Maybe it could be a desire to escape, right? You, you, you're bored and that notification pops up and you're like, ah, oh, great. I can waste some time. I can distract myself from my, my uh, boredom. I can escape. Or, or maybe there's tensions in home life. And so when that phone buzzes or dings or when that TV show is on, it's like you just want to escape. Could be uh, the dopamine hit that social media is designed to create in us when someone likes an image or comments or responds. And it's a, a little bit of escape, a little bit of a pleasure for us. Or maybe it's a desire for leisure, right? You just want to relax. You just want to unplug. And so you distract yourself. And leisure is not a bad thing. I get it. I, I have moments where I need to unplug. We all need to unplug. But I'm concerned that our distractedness, distractedness is not leading us to a leisurely life, but rather it's leading us to hurry in worry, in busyness, 
and anxiety. Distractions reveal our desires. We're not just the victims of them, but we actually, we choose them. We choose them. The second thing that I think we need to understand is that distraction creates dysfunction. And we see that in the story here in in verse 40, Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand, right? Do you see what's happening here, Jesus? I'm, I'm killing myself in the kitchen trying to get everything ready for you guys. And my sister is just sitting there. Like if she was really godly, what she would do is get up and serve me and help me. And then we have this rift, this relational rift. You see, Distraction creates relational dysfunction, doesn't it? You've probably experienced this firsthand whenever you're in a conversation with someone, maybe a coworker, a boss, your spouse, your child, and you get pulled away by your phone or by an email or a phone call or text message or whatever it is, and you get distracted out of the moment. And what it does is it creates a relational dysfunction, right? How many little um, spats have come about in our homes because of that very thing? Or parents, when you're trying to ask your kids, hey, what do you guys want for snack right now? Hey, are you thirsty? Or hey, we're trying to get this ready for you. And it's like they're so zombied out watching TV or on a device, it's like they can't even hear you talking and you just get frustrated, right? Distraction creates this relational dysfunction and discord. And it's not the Jesus way, is it? I mean, I found this quote. This is from John Mark Comer, who wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I highly recommend. If you want a deep deep dive on what we're talking about today, go get this book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But here's what he writes. I just found this humorous. He said, if there's anything you can pick up from reading the four gospels, it's that Jesus was rarely in a hurry. Can you imagine a stressed out Jesus snapping at Mary Magdalene after a long day? I can't believe you dropped the hummus. Sighing and saying to himself, I seriously need a glass of wine. Can you picture him half talking to you and half texting on his iPhone, the sporadic uh uh-huh, punctuating a one-sided conversation? Can you hear him saying, I'm sorry, I'd love to heal your leg, but I have a plane to catch. I'm speaking at TEDx in Jerusalem tomorrow. Here's Thaddeus, an apprentice of mine nobody's ever heard of. He's happy to pray for you. I'm out. You see, this distracted life of relational dysfunction is not the Jesus way. In fact, what we find in Jesus is a savior who's radically undistracted and unhurried, who's constantly being interrupted by people who need healing and help. And yet he's able to respond to every single one of them. This Distraction creates relational dysfunction. It erodes our relationship. The other part of dysfunction is that it creates personal dysfunction. And what I mean is this, uh, that we 
don't get done, the things that we need to get done when we need to get them done. I know it's a mouthful. We don't get done the things that we need to get done when we need to get them done because we're often being pulled away, distracted by little things that are unimportant. And then we find ourselves working longer and longer and longer when we need to be unplugging and connecting with God's self and others. If you work from a computer, you know what this is like. You're constantly bombarded with little notifications and things on your screen. We can't drive anymore, thanks to our phones. Like the, the reason we'll have to have self-driving cars is because we can't put our phones down long enough to drive anymore. When you stop at a stoplight, it turns green and nobody goes because everyone's on the phone. Right? We reach for our phones in all the little pauses of life. And I found this quote from Nicholas Carr in a book called The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains, a Pulitzer Prize winning book. And here's what he says. What the net seems to be doing is chipping away at my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in a sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. Nicholas Carr is saying that what happens is this personal dysfunction that, that distraction creates is it keeps us skimming the surface of life. It can become a band-aid for social anxiety. Right? Not sure what to do, do with yourself in social situations, so you pull out your device and distract yourself a little bit longer, only deepening our social anxiety. It creates a personal dysfunction. It also creates spiritual dysfunction. We, we see this in the words of Jesus in verse 42. As he responds to Martha's request, he says, one thing is necessary, and Mary has made the right choice. Well, what choice did Mary make? Well, we saw it back in verse 39. It says that Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said, she sat at his feet and she listened to what he was saying. My concern for us as followers of Jesus, the undistracted, unhurried Jesus, is that we're too distracted and too hurried to actually meet with him. We live our lives with no sense of his presence. We have no clue what he might be saying or doing or speaking or prompting in us. Right? When, when trouble hits, we say, where are you, God? And I just wonder if God looks down with us and says, where are you? We become spiritual voyeurs. Right? And we look for the next song or book or YouTube video or devotion or blog from someone who's taken the time to sit at the Lord's feet and listen. And we just want a quick hit, like just give me a little something because I don't have time to meet with God for myself. It creates a spiritual dysfunction in our life. 
John Bloom, one of the contributors to DesiringGod.com, he says, our fundamental and most dangerous problem in distraction is being distracted from God. Our tendency to shift our attention orientation from the greatest capital O object in existence to countless lesser ones. The Bible calls this idolatry, spiritual dysfunction. Distraction creates dysfunction. it's, It's relational, it's personal, and it's spiritual. And the last point I want you to understand is that attention determines direction. I'll say that again. Attention determines direction. What you give your attention to will ultimately shape your life. It will absolutely change who you are becoming. And distraction eats away at our attention to what matters most in our lives. There's a poet by the name of Mary Oliver, not a Christian, but a spiritual seeker, and she wrote these words, attention is the beginning of devotion. C.S. Lewis, the famous uh, author and uh, teacher, he once wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and in this book, which is kind of a satirical a fictional picture of, of spiritual warfare. He portrays demons railing against silence as a ruin to their cause because people might become spiritually centered. Think about that, that the devil trembles at Christians who are deeply connected to God and to self and to others. The senior demon, Screwtape, calls the devil's kingdom a kingdom of noise. And he says, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. And aren't we living in a kingdom of noise, of constant distraction that's eroding our attention? Corey Tin Boom said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And what all these people are saying is, look, here's what we need to understand is that our attention is under assault. It's under assault. We live right now in the age of what they call the attention economy. And what what businesses and large corporations and advertisers know is that they cannot get you to spend your money if they cannot get your attention. And so they are designing everything to distract you to get your attention. There's an assault on your attention and it wants to thwart the direction of your life. But I have good news. I have gospel news for you. Jesus has come to bring us into a life marked by love, joy, and peace that spring from centeredness, deep connection to God, self, and others. Jesus has come to bring us into that life. So how do we possess this life that Jesus has come to bring to us? Well, the first thing I think is so important for us to understand is that we need to pursue daily 
undistracted time with God. If you're a person that loves the, the new book or song or, or whatever from the great Christian so-and-so, what you're going to find about every one of those people that you love to learn from is that they spend daily undistracted time with God. And it's what fuels them. And you need to start being fueled by what fuels them. Daily, undistracted time with God. Pick a time. It could be morning, early morning, late evening. doesn't matter. Make it a habit to daily spend time with God. I want you to practice in that time with God what Colossians 3, 2 tells us. Set your mind on things above. Now, just don't miss what he's saying. You have the power to set your mind on something. And you can set it on distractions, you can set it on whatever other thing, or you can set it on things above. And we have to take the time to daily set our minds on things above. We do that through reading scripture, through prayer, through meditating, just thinking deeply on God or what he might be speaking or what things he's churning up in our lives, what decisions we need to pray through in our lives. We have to have daily undistracted time with God. The second thing is a master technology before it masters you, right? This is the age of distraction. We have this digital device in our pocket that's constantly distracting us and we have to learn how to control it before it controls us, okay? I wanna encourage you to set some limits for yourself. You have to parent your phone. You might have to put it to bed at a certain time. Some families have created what they call a phone jail. And at a certain time of the day, everybody drops their device in that box and that's phone jail and nobody gets it out until the next day, right? Because they know we've got to unconnect from that so that we can connect with one another, right? Master technology before it masters you. Third, this is going to kill you, but practice slowing down. Practice slowing down. Some ways you can do this. Intentionally choose to drive in the slow lane on the highway. I know some of you are just, your skin's crawling right now just thinking about that. Another one, practice driving the speed limit. Or pick the longest line at the grocery store, the longest line, and wait. And as you wait, don't pull out your phone. Just stand there. Just observe. Be present to the moment. Watch the people around you. Practice slowing down. Lastly, I would encourage you put some margin back in your life. When you look at a document and you see the words and they have this margin around it, it's like the margin makes sense of the words. But all of our distractedness is causing us to live our lives all the way out to the edges. And what happens is when we live our life to the edges and then like one more thing happens, the fridge breaks, the kid drops a, you know, a glass of milk, your spouse needs something, the boss adds one more uh, responsibility. It's like all of a sudden it was the straw that broke the camel's back because there was no margin. There's no space for anything outside of what I've already got on my plate. And I want to encourage you that you need to begin to practice these things so that you can get some margin back in your life. 
God doesn't want you to live a frantic, frenetic, busy, overloaded life. You'll never look like Jesus that way. He was never in a hurry. I want to close with this. In his book, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer talks about his neighborhood in Portland. And Portland is the, uh, the headquarters for the Nike Corporation, and he had these neighbors in his super hip, cool neighborhood in downtown Portland that would share a house together, like four people, and they would file out of their house first thing in the morning, and he said it was just this beautiful sight. You know, he'd be sitting there in his robe or whatever on the front porch drinking coffee and they'd file out and he said it was like a Nike commercial, right? They, they had the shoes, they had the gear, they looked great in spandex, they had single digit body fat, they had great posture. I mean, these people were runners. I mean, some, some of us run, but these were runners, like it's a whole different class of people. And I said, I would look at them and I would think, oh, I want that life. I want their life. But then he remarked, he said, but if I really saw what it took, if I saw them snack on that carrot before bed and then go to bed early so they could get up for that early morning run while I was at home binge watching my Netflix show with a glass of wine, I would honestly don't know if I could do that. Or if, if I saw them uh, making the different meal choices throughout the day that I never, ever want to make. If I saw the, the exercise regimen that they're on, if I really saw what they went through, I realized that I wouldn't want their lifestyle. I want their life, but I don't want their lifestyle. Friends, when it comes to the ways of Jesus, he's actually given us a way to live that he called an easy yoke, a way to shoulder the, the, the issues and concerns of life that would be easy and the burden would be light. It's a life of undistracted, unhurried, spiritual centeredness, where, where we're deeply connected to God and to self and to others. But you cannot have that life unless you begin to step into the lifestyle of Jesus. Friends, Let's be the fully alive people of Jesus who live intentionally undistracted lives so that we can be deeply connected to God, self, and others. Let's use this unique moment to develop a stronger center. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.